There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Can I just add, you know what's worse than musky fishing all day and not catching any muskies? Uh, musky fishing all night and not catching yes, any muskies? which I've done. A bunch of folks, you know, sitting in like some Taco Bell boardroom being like, we're going to get in on this seafood salad market. Is this in X-Files or a real story? I've, I've heard this before. I think it was squids, though, or like jelly-like blobs. People say to me all the time, Lance, your content cheers me up faster than the Prozac I swipe from my Aunt Trudy's linen closet. Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that has a question for you today. How would you feel about making a change? We fear change. Now, I too fear change, but it is part of life, and it's with a sad heart that I have to inform you that this will be Miles Nolte's last show. Boo. Boo this man. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Boo this man. <laughs> I deserve it. Sadly, uh, Joe speaks the truth. Uh, mm. And while I can't think of anything more appropriate to start my send off episode than a Wayne's World clip, I the fact the is, same. <laughs> the fact that this will be my last episode as co host of this strange and layered show leaves me, I mean, I'll be honest i feel sad i'm feeling sad i know i'm the depressing guy on this show like that's kind of my beat (laughs) but this one is this is this is gonna be hard for me yeah well me too and and look we know this is abrupt right to 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 you the listener to you to you all it's to to you all but but this is also it's also kind of life right that's just how shit happens it's where you get six months of bailout notice from anybody in any gig um but while the thought of you leaving like gives me the bubble guts you're leaving Meat Eater for a cool gig, and I am I am truly happy for you. Um, and as I recall, you're taking over as what? The creative director of Salt Life and Walleye Guiding on the side? Do I, do I have that right? You're close. You're actually really close. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to spearhead a new spinoff that we're calling Soggy Sock Life. 
Oh, I think it's going to be big, real big. <laughs> I'll invest. It's going to be huge. Uh, it's good. No, for all the for all the time that you have invested in the show and listening to me drone on about fish kills and conservation efforts, you all deserve to know why one of the hosts is abandoning his post. The fact is that both Joe and I married women who are smarter and more successful than we are. Absolutely. True. It's, it's one of the many <laughs> things we have in common. And why, as pissed as he is, and I know you are pissed, I also know that you can relate to my decision, Joe. My wife, uh, my wife was recently awarded a fellowship based in New Zealand. And as supportive as she has been of my, uh, I mean, I guess you could call it a career, this is a huge, this is a huge opportunity for her and for her career. And it means that our family gets to move there eventually, <sighs> assuming anyone's ever allowed to travel to New Zealand again. Yeah, well, I know you got that hurdle to get over, but like New Zealand, dude, isn't it like they're mm -hmm. huge trout that you catch once a month? Isn't that how it works there? They're like really I've, hard. I've heard that. I've heard that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Well, anyway, it is It is true. I am pissed at you, but I, I also know that your wife is smarter than you. We can yeah. at least agree on those two points. Uh, <laughs> but the real question remains, right? What happens to Bent? And the answer is nothing. Bent isn't going away. Bent presses on. But because I'm a believer in honesty and transparency with our valued listeners, I'm going to tell you straight up, shit might get a little janky around here for a while. Okay? I'm just being, I love, just I love being real. I it's going to get janky. Like, I, yeah. where, where have uh, we been for the past year? We work really uh, hard to come across this janky, we but do. We actually a lot goes into we this. We do. So much goes into the jank. Uh, uh, I, I have put Joe in a very unenviable position. Um, sorry, man. You, you're you're gonna scramble a bit. It's happened before, you know. But if anyone can pull it off and keep the show going, it's you. As you know, I feel I feel conflict. Uh, I feel some shame. I feel guilt. I feel sadness. But you know, New Zealand, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, look, I'd take New Zealand over myself any day of the week, right? So I ain't, I ain't mad at you, homie. You know that. Know. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, this is kind of a two-man gig, and we love it. And it ha we've been having just an absolute blast putting yes. this together. But to do what we do takes discipline, right? You, you have to be each other's wingman to crank out these segments and stay on top of your shit. So, you know, like when, when Goose ejects into the canopy, like Maverick might need a minute to get her flying straight and true again. It's just, you know, he's got to compose himself. He's got to tell Meg Ryan. He's got to make peace with Iceman. Decide if Cougar is good enough to have more than two lines a month. <laughs> now, it's a friggin' process. I'd have flown anyway. Without you. You hated it. How in the hell did Anthony Edwards get Meg Ryan? That doesn't make any sense. Like, whoever <laughs> cast that was out of their friggin' mind. And Meg Ryan, I, if you're listening, how you tortured my young self, thank you for everything. Uh, who, I see, who am I going to have to talk Meg Ryan with? Because she was super good looking in Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh, my like, goodness. That was, you know what I mean? And, and, like, she was so witty and smart in, in When Harry Met Sally. Like, mm. she, was, she was all the things. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, man, I'm sorry for bailing. I don't know who you're going to find to talk Meg Ryan with you, but I'm sure you'll find somebody. I don't envy you, but you are, you're going to be okay, man. I believe in this show. I believe in the concept. Most of all, I believe in you, and I know you have Thank a plan. You. Yeah, sort of. 
sort of. Like <laughs> we're <laughs> we're lucky that we have so many regular contributors to lean on, right? People you guys have come to know and enjoy on the show. Um, so some guest hosts might be in order for a while. I'm still working out the bugs of this whole mess you've created. Um, but what I can tell you guys is that while I can't promise some things won't be a little different, at least for a bit, I'm going to do my best to maintain the core values and ethos of the Bent Podcast. And no joke, I could actually use your input, right? You guys have never been shy about telling us what you like and don't like on this on this show. No. So this is sort of a semi-blank canvas, right? I'd, I'd like to have a full-time co-host. I think that's the long-term goal. But your shoes are big shoes to fill. No joke. Like, that's that's the truth. Uh, this show, like I said, takes work. Dedication requires the right person. But hey, at the same time, you guys all tell me, like, Bob the Garbage Man should just be the co-host. Or maybe someone else filling in a temporary slot just really resonates. Shout it out. Like, you might kind of sort of have some sway, is what I'm saying here. You've always kind of had some sway. You've always yes. sort of kind of had some sway, and that continues, <laughs> even with the big change. The other thing is Joe and I don't, we don't know every, we know a lot of people, but we don't know everybody. Right. And we definitely don't listen to every fishing podcast out there. Right. We have talked about some folks. We have discussed this. Uh, we, we've kicked around ideas for who might be able to hang full time, but there very well could be someone else that you listeners think might be perfect. And if so, email their name, address, and social security number to the bent email. Mm -hmm. Let Joe know so he can run a background check and make sure they have the minimum number of misdemeanors on their record. Yes, yes. You know, though, I am going to have to ask you to please turn in all your 13 fishing deans and churros, though. Because I'm not, I'm not even sure donkey sauce is legal in New Zealand. But regardless, <laughs> I kind of need those because 13 Fishing is still kind of our sponsor. And now I kind of can't lean on you to tell us how many gold eyes you're whacking on their coconut crab, which sounds tropical, <laughs> but it's actually a super sweet little soft plastic designed for ice fishing. It is. It's a good one. Yeah. And f*** you, I'm keeping the coconut crabs. <laughs> okay? We'll work something out. You can have the big squirms every other weekend or something. We'll, we'll work right. a deal, but you're not taking my coconut crabs. Fair. Anyway, enough sad sack shit. Let's get back to doing what we do best one last time. You probably have questions. I know Joe has been questioning himself while losing sleep at night. I know yep. I have been questioning every single life choice I've ever made while not even trying to pretend to sleep at night, but the show must go on. And here we go. Recently, we both sat down to fire some questions at our buddy and culinary rock star, Brad Leone. Let's do trivia. You gotta be highly skilled for these fucking shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Back with us today, uh, Chef Extraordinaire, our buddy Brad Leone, to play trivia. How are you, my friend? Good. Thank you, boys. Thanks for having me once again. Yeah, man. Mm. Right on. Right on. So we're gonna do we're gonna do trivia today. You've been on before for covering water, which is our rapid fire peppering of questions. Um, segment this is more we're gonna do barroom style today like this is multiple choice um you know barroom trivial pursuit style trivia. it's where we get really thoughtful yeah right, and, I'll and give the, my best. the the beauty of our <laughs> trivia is there's 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 nothing to, you can't win anything we don't have nope. any prizes i never um, win anything anything guys so don't like don't worry about that a, shit you know a lot of people have come on and been like i'm terrible at this and they they ace ours so i always try and do my best when i'm in charge of trivia to like really tailor these questions to the people that we have on. So I'm, I'm definitely going more, more culinary, but sticking to, to fish here. All right. So um, we'll fire them up, man. We'll see, we'll see how you do. We'll see how, how I did and uh, how we fare. So if you're ready, 
Here's question number one. Okay, so we've talked on this very show before about fugu, which some of our listeners will recall is uh, the puffer fish, which contains a shitload of poisonous tetrodotoxin, which can seriously mess you up if not kill you, which is why only master chefs in Japan are allowed to clean and prepare this delicacy. Okay, so however, in 1989, after a five-year battle with the Food and Drug Administration, renowned New York City chef Nobuyashu Kuraoka was granted permission to import fugu to serve at his restaurant. Since then, how many other restaurants in the United States have been granted permission by the FDA to serve fugu? Is it A, 0, B, 16, C, 25, or D, 4? Oh, that's a great question, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, man. That is, thank, that is thank one you of your God. better Oh, ones. my God. I'm blushing. You guys. My Sometimes my questions are terrible. No, that was fantastic. <laughs> my gut answer wants to be zero, but I feel like maybe it's too obvious, but it's very USDA. Uh, it's either zero or like 16 or something like you said. Let's go. Let's go zero. Man, you, you were better off with the 16. The answer really? is 16. Oh. So at, la- at, at last count, including uh, his restaurant, there are 17 restaurants in the United States that can serve fugu. And interestingly, 12 of the 17 are in New York City. I blew it. You know, I knew it was, it was either like shut it down or like, <laughs> listen, we like making money too. You know, and right. like, I should have went with the money. I assume, <laughs> I assume, obviously, you've probably never prepared it, but have you eaten it? In your I travels? No, uh, I have neither. Would you? Like, does that interest you, or is that like a no? Tasting no it or preparing it? Tasting it. Yeah, I would taste it. You just have to I really trust I, dude who's giving it to you? Yeah, I would have to go somewhere where it was like, you know, I, I, I was whoever brought me there was like, yeah, listen, like, this is like chef blah, 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 and like, this is like, this is legit. Like, and then he was like, hey, like, it was like into me being there, and like, you know, it was like, everyone was on board with that. Like, <laughs> Showed you his your, credentials, yeah, his official Fugu cutting card. You know, 7-Eleven <laughs> Japan. Circle K Fugu. Yeah. yeah. Your but buddy's backyard DIY Fugu, like, yeah, right. no, it's good, man, I got it. That's yeah, so. That's watch cool. a, I watched a YouTube video. I totally got this. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's funny you bring up Seven Eleven Fugu though, because it'll lead right into my next question. Which the, the the product of this one could also make you very sick. And I know from when I had you on before, I know you're not a big fast food guy, but think of this more as a pop culture question yeah. than a fast food guy. Yeah. Because people love to talk about discontinued fast food, like the Whopperito and the Wendy's Super Bar, like all Whopperito? these things. That, what? You don't guys remember the Whopperito? Who no. made it? it, it was the Burger King burrito. burrito. It was the Burger King Burrito. No. The Whopper Shut it burrito. right down. What? When no. did this happen? Look this shit up online. There was McDonald's pizza, Wendy's super. There was all there's all kinds of fast foods that have McDonald's come and gone. Pizza? Mad- they just McDonald's were and spaghetti. They did spaghetti for a Get while. Get out of town. What? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. But so have so you had because it? No, that's the the I wasn't born for the spaghetti. I never had a Whopperito. I, I passed on the Burger good. King Yumbo. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, we Shit. have to keep this semi fishy. So here's the question: Tell me which of the following is not is not a legitimate discontinued fast food item. So one of these is fake. Is it a Taco Bell's seafood salad? B the McDonald's McLobster? C, KFC's Fish Snacker, or D, Sonic's Cajun Crab Tots? Dude, it's got to be the fish salad by Taco Bell. Come on. You think, that's, you think that's the fake one? The Taco one of Bell these is, 
seafood salad if that's not fake then i i give up on i like i'm done with them dude like so that's your answer talk about seafood salad that's a good product that is totally legit though that's a real one stop it the fake one was it let me let me guess seafood salad yep in what country uh the united states of america i actually have backstory but before we get to the backstory Get, get, Miles, any guess on the fake one? What's the fake one? Tell, tell me it's the Sonic Crab Tots. That's the fake one. That's the one oh, I made up. I That's pretty it. good, I, though. I thought long and hard one. about that. That was good. That was good. That's their best. They, they're, that's probably the best <laughs> idea of them all. Like, that's, well, hey, bro, you can have it. Like If you want it, you have the power to go to Sonic and be like, I want to do Brad Leone's Cajun Crab Tots no signature way, series. Just, it's I, all yours, just, man. Now I just want to find these Taco but, Bell wait, seafood So here's salad. a little. So here's What's a little, in I, it? I, I, that I don't know. It was a very short write-up, but here's a quick backstory. Uh, the Taco Bell seafood salad went out very fast because a whole shitload of people got food poisoning from that. Mm, okay. Shocker. Uh, the McDonald's McLobster, that was available in Canada, and it, it claimed to be fresh-caught Maine lobster, but it was so dirt cheap that it made people skeptical. It's like, how can you possibly be serving me fresh lobster on a bun for like $4? So that didn't last. And my favorite, the KFC Fish Snacker was created to boost sales for Catholics during Lent, and when it was released in the early 2000s, the CEO famously asked the Pope to bless the sandwich, and the request was denied. The Pope was like, I'm not blessing the KFC fish snacker. I'm surprised. So I, I would have thought maybe at what, part, the, what, what part, what of, the, what of those things, so many of those things could have surprised you? Which of those layers did you find surprising? The Pope. I would have I thought he would have been like, yeah, I support this shit. I want more people to be Catholic. So yeah, whatever it takes. KFC, he wouldn't even accept the sandwich. He wouldn't even like try the sandwich, let alone bless it. But I did. So this was a, this was a fun trivia. This was good. And, and my challenge to you, Brad, would be you need to, you need to research that and like figure out what it was and then make a good version of that for us. Like a I, I real just can't version. get over the seafood salad from Taco Bell. Like a lot of people of couldn't get over it. That's why they threw it back up and shit it back out after they <laughs> ate it, and that went away. Oh. Man, I mean, two things Taco Bell's known to do well: seafood and salads. Right? Oh my goodness, man! I'm just blown away. Like a bunch of folks, you know, probably men, probably white guys, sitting in like some Taco Bell boardroom, being like, "We're gonna get in on this seafood salad market," you know? Like, it's just that's it's that's wild. That's wild. I should have known. I'm terrible. I told you, I don't win anything. Not so long ago, I mentioned I have not eaten Taco Bell in like mm, 15 years. Oh, yeah, like I remember this. Yeah. yeah. I their their it. regular like on-menu food yeah. does not really appeal to me in any way. So Taco Bell seafood salad, that that's actually nauseating to me. I know. Just the thought of it. I know it is, but it's about to get a lot worse. Like, you think you're nauseous now. <laughs> Just wait, because I might have tipped off a certain contributor about your upcoming uh, departure. And while I didn't ask him to record anything for the occasion, he kind of insisted. And at this point, <laughs> I can't afford to lose any more contributors, so I need to keep this person happy. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Of course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> and I I don't believe for a second, because I know who this is. I'm sure I do. I don't believe for a second that you didn't. Ask. No, you insisted on him no, recording no. something for this. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You're getting <laughs> back at me. And, and it's my last day, and... That, 
you know, aren't last days supposed to be kind of like a cruise easy day? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? No, no, I will not make this easy on you. We remain friends always, but I'm not going to make this like a fun, cheery send off. I'm happy for you and all, but also like, (laughs) you, man, (laughs) just, you know, that's fair. (laughs) That's, that's fair. And I get it, but come on, you couldn't just like, just have Bob berate me for a while and call he doesn't me even niles know your name yeah as exactly. say he calls you niles yeah he can come in and yell yell at niles do you have to make me suffer through the worst part of the show the worst thing we've ever done this mm-hmm. is like this is like asking the custodian to toilet duck the men's room one last time <laughs> on the way out can't we just awkwardly stand around the break room with cupcakes and lukewarm beers for 20 minutes and have steve tell everyone to get back to work and call it good like everybody else Consider this the awkward break room farewell address delivered by none other than Mr. Lance V. From the land to the boat to the lake to the sea, f***ing up the internet with your boy Lance V. What's up, ass clowns? It's me, the internet's most significant celebrity angler, Lance V. I know you've been dying for my next segment because you just can't absorb enough of my truth nuggets into that dollar store kitchen sponge you call a brain. But this time, it's not about me. So selfless. I'm here to give a proper send-off to my biggest fan and supporter, Miles Nolte, since he's walking away from this hot garbage for what I assume will be just another pile of trash. But don't worry, because there's still a lesson to be learned from my top three reasons this shitty show will be less shitty with Miles gone. Hashtag, I've been waiting for this. Hashtag, who's the loser now? The tables have turned. Numero uno. Insta-hate. The fact is, your Instagram account is your resume these days. This has been proven by scientists like Elon Musk and every person that hosts a show on the Vice Network. Personal branding. But unfortunately for Miles, his education stopped at MySpace Community College. He hates social media, but now the joke's on him, because his weak-ass social resume isn't going to impress anyone beyond the night manager at Chili's. Hashtag, hi, my name is Miles. Can I start you guys off with a blooming onion? Half-price appetizers. Number dose. Deep sigh. Nobody likes people with deep voices. People with deep voices only conjure bad memories of my mom's boyfriend when I was in the third grade and guidance counselors that say shit like, why don't you come back when you decide that you care? Do you think it's a coincidence that the Guggen Squad kicks members out when they hit puberty? It's not. I could be nice and tell Miles which vocal coats me and John B. used to keep our voices at the same octave as Justin Bieber's, but I won't. Hashtag you should have been nicer to me, asshole. Numero Tracerino. Death blows. People say to me all the time, Lance, your content cheers me up faster than the Prozac I swipe from my Aunt Trudy's linen closet. Of course it does. People want to see me grinning in my hashtag Gucci's while hogs are getting roped, toads are getting jacked, and donkeys are getting punched. But you can't jack a dead toad. Now can you, Miles? Interesting phrasing. During pretty much every stupid news segment while Miles was jabbering on about hashtag Red Tide and hashtag Save the Whatever, the entreaties of the world were wondering why their Zoloft bottles suddenly felt lighter. So that's it. Hashtag Bye Felicia. In case any of you are wondering, yes, I am in talks with Beat Meters to become the new full-time co-host, but only if they're willing to change the name to Ben Over by Lance V. But really, they'd have to sell a lot more lemon pepper and telescopes to ever afford me. Hashtag Spicy. I'm not going to miss him. And I know. <laughs> now that the power is 
unilaterally in your hands, I one last time implore you to finally, once and for all, fire that motherfucker. Uh, it's not your call, though, Nolte. You you gave up those rights and privileges the day you put in your notice. Um, I might just make him co-host out of spite. Um, and you know what else? I'm going to uh, throw down with you one last time in that weekly dead fish-laden segment we call Fish News. Fish News! That escalated quickly. So this is it. It Somehow. is it. It is it. This is it. This is the... The right ultimate. here, right now, both cheeks, both lips. <laughs> the final you versus me, mano a mano, fish news battle. And you know what? I, I haven't prepared any better than I normally would have. <laughs> Neither have I. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. No, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, think, I think we need to go into this with a different attitude. Here's what I'm picturing. It's you and me, and we're like face-to-face in the center of the dirt circle of a Roman Colosseum, right? <laughs> the winner will walk away bloodied but victorious, and the loser feeds the lions. That's what I want you to picture right now. Okay. The stakes are high, is what I'm saying. This really matters. This I think Phil's actually going to listen to it for once. He may listen to it this time. Um, yeah, so clearly this is still a competition, obviously. <laughs> To the bitter end, we do not know which news stories the other person has has brought to the table. So, um, man, it's your last one, and it's also your lead. It is. We're done here. It is. Phil, the the chocolate to our cheese, to reference a Ween album. (laughs) Ah, nice. We'll pass judgment on uh, both of us together one last time. Take it away. And the loser will shed a tear for Eddie. All right, so (laughs) I, I am going to shamelessly pander. This time, because the stakes are so high, I'm going to pander to the masses and hope that Phil takes mercy on me. All right. Okay. Record fish stories are to fishing podcasts as grip and grins are to Instagram. Right. And because I have not done a record roundup in many months, this is true. I will begin there. Okay. I have three recently certified fish records to tell you about, two of which involve ESOC specimens in Minnesota mm. that were released. Mm. We try to we try to balance harvest and 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 release on the show. Sure. I eat fish, you eat fish, we both kill fish, but we're thoughtful about it. We're thoughtful about what we kill and what we release. Generally speaking, releasing large mature fish benefits the broader population, and that's especially true for slow growing apex predators like pike and muskie. This summer, Minnesota broke or met the state catch and release records for both of these species. And though totally anecdotal, I think this suggests that management efforts and catch and release ethics for these fish is working well. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's the general trend and we're seeing it bear out. So if you like big toothy fish and live in the gopher state, you're living the good old days. Enjoy them. Brecken Kobalecki is definitely living his good old days, but since he's only 15 years old, he probably doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know what a good day is yet. He's too Not young. Yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> On June 19th, Brecken caught a 46 and a quarter inch northern pike. Now just mm. take a second and let that sink in. A 15-year-old caught a northern pike over 46 inches in the lower 48 states this year. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I've done 46, but I had to go to the tippity top of Saskatchewan to do it. So that's exactly. impressive. Yeah. Exactly. And as I peer out my window 
through wildfire smoke so thick that I can't see the nearby mountains, causing air quality so bad that my kid isn't supposed to play outside. I'm smiling. (laughs) It may look like... (laughs) It may look and feel like the dust cloud kicked up by the four horsemen is growing thick enough to obscure the sun itself, but all cannot be lost if pike like that still swim in our waters. When I was a kid, a 30-inch pike in that latitude was a cause for celebration. Brecken's fish could eat a 30-inch pike. Mm -hmm. And best of all, she's still swimming. Mm -hmm. All right, so Brecken and his dad were on vacation in Ely, Minnesota, and they'd hired a guide for the day to take them fishing. Their day was nearly over, and with just 10 minutes left before heading back to the dock, they hooked up on the pike while trolling. The fish bests the previous record by exactly one inch. While there are some aspects of the story that feel reminiscent of uh, your your recent reporting on Michigan's new record, Chinook, Mm -hmm. namely that it was caught by a teenager while trolling, Mm -hmm. the kid who caught this fish does not seem like a disinterested Gen Z meat puppet with no appreciation for what just happened to him. You are bringing it. Meat be- <laughs> Brecken told local reporters, quote, the whole experience went by in a flash, but it was the experience of a lifetime I'll never forget. And even though he was just speaking in platitudes because he was talking to reporters, I don't care. Congratulations, Brecken. Yeah, man, that's a that's an insane fish for the lower 48. Insane. insane. Yeah. And, and, and don't expect that to ever happen again. Just down the road... From Ely is Lake Vermilion, which has a very well-earned reputation for growing huge muskies, which is why Todd Kirby went fishing there with a few friends just ahead of an incoming front and had one of those nights that make other muskie anglers seethe with jealousy. He told local reporters, quote, that Friday night we were up against the weather. There was a huge storm front moving through, creating extremely unstable conditions. The humidity was high and storm clouds were building. It was one of those nights that the fish seemed to be super active. Our boat had multiple chases, one resulting in a 48-inch fish in the net. At that time, my personal best. At 10.30, his lure got hit again, and he broke his personal best for the second time in just a couple of hours in spectacular fashion. The fish taped out at 57 and a quarter inches, tying the standing catch-and-release muskie record for Minnesota, which was also set on Lake Vermilion in 2019. Oof. We are all very happy for Todd. Actually, that's not true. We all kind of hate Todd, but we are happy to know that Trophy Pike and Muskie are alive and well in Minnesota. Can I just can I just add, you know what's worse than muskie fishing all day and not catching any muskies? Uh, muskie fishing all night and not catching yes, any muskies? which yeah. I've done. I have I've done, done that, that too. I've gone out there specifically to be like, ooh, nighttime muskie night fishing. I love night fishing. <laughs> that was awful. That was awful. Because like everything else goes to bed. Like, so you're not, there's no bycatch. No. And it's like, nothing. this is terrible. I am cold. And we've eaten all the jerky hours ago. <laughs> but good for him. That's a hell of a fish. So yeah, someone's got to do it. Kind of. You know? And yeah, good for him. And we also have to appreciate that Todd's fish was caught casting, not trolling. Let's give him yeah, that too. Yeah. Dude, there you go. Yep. Yep. Got to. But probably my favorite part of this story was Todd's description of the fight to the media. He said, quote, I compare it to reeling in a large moving log. And mm-hmm. After a few dark splashes, she was in the net. Now, I don't Good know. Dude, this, this, this might support your theory that fish don't fight as well at night. Uh, 
But either way, I love the fact that Todd was honest, right? He didn't try to invent some heroic yes. Hemingway-esque battle to play up his trophy. When the media asked him, he's like, yep, it just came in like a log. That's what happened. Well, dude, and you know what? I give him a lot of credit for saying that because, and this is not taking away anything from musky dudes because I no. appreciate what y'all do, but you don't catch a musky for the drag ripping fight, right? You, you, Like most guys, it's heavy gear. You want that fish in the bag right away. It's the eat, Right, it's yep. like the 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 figure eight and the boat side eat and the swipe and all that. But he's like, I've never caught a muskie at night, as I've just told you. <laughs> but that is truly no bullshit. Like I love mousing for browns. You know, um, they don't. They, I don't know if they're just like super confused and don't know what's going on because it's dark when they get stuck. But they do not fight nearly tired, as well Jim. at night. Yeah, tired. Well, I don't fight nearly as well at night either. Well. <laughs> That's you got you got a good point, but good on him for not I'm, making that out to be some epic battle because exactly. I get it. I get I it. appreciate that. And all this brings me to the final record in this week's record roundup, which was caught by Dr. Bob Timpson off the coast of North Carolina and also didn't put up much of a fight. Dr. Timpson and some friends were grouper fishing with local guide Captain Hiroki Toma in 200 to 250 feet of water. And while all his buddies were catching grouper, Dr. Timpson was getting hosed. Over the course of the morning, he had only brought in a greater soapfish and a spotted scorpionfish. Now, I, for one, would have been pretty pumped about the scorpionfish, but he was not. And I get it. They were after <laughs> grouper. Apparently, Dr. Timpson was getting frustrated about his inability to catch the target species and decided to change tactics. One of the grouper caught by another angler on the boat coughed up a relatively intact crab after coming over the rail and Timpson snatched the crab off the deck, put it on his hook, and dropped it down, figuring the crab had already been munched by a grouper and might improve his chances. And he was right. Kind of. The crab got eaten soon after hitting bottom, and Timpson had a fish on the line, but once again, it wasn't a grouper. The bright orange, tropical-looking specimen came to the surface pretty quickly, and no one in the boat, including the captain, had any idea what it was. They initially guessed it to be a parrotfish, which is technically possible in it's a little North far Carolina. North. It's a little far north, yeah. I looked it up. They, they have been seen as far north as uh, Maryland, but highly unlikely. Yeah, highly well, they unlikely. eat coral. There's not a whole ton of coral up there, right? Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> they kept it, and when they got back into service, they did a quick Google search and identified it as a Spanish hogfish, at which point they also realized that the fish they had on board was far larger than any of the examples they saw mm, on the internet. Happy, happy accident. Yep. In fact, they discovered the world record for Spanish hogfish weighed just one pound, eight ounces. When they finally got to a certified scale, the fish that Dr. Timpson had only recently bemoaned as unwanted bycatch that fought like a discarded prophylactic <laughs> shattered the world record for Spanish hogfish by more than a pound. Wow. Good yeah. for him. Good for and him. As great as that is, it's also like, if not for the internet, they never it never would have been. No. They would have been like, I don't no, know what the hell right. this is. And they just have eaten it and gone on with their lives. Well, okay. Well, this that was a terrific roundup. Good for him. Um, that's something. I, I have to Google the fish because I can't even picture what it looks like. I don't even know. It does. I mean, it looks like. I mean, you know how the hogfish have those big lips and like the yeah, long yeah, I know tail? what a hogfish. Yeah, it looks Florida, like a hogfish, yeah. but but more brightly colored and smaller. 
Hmm. I wonder if it's as, as tasty because hogfish is freaking so, delicious. I assume so. Like I, that's the what problem I was with hogfish too. is that when I order it in Florida, I just always assume it's not actually hogfish because I yeah. don't trust anybody. Yeah. But man, when I've gotten it like in person in the flesh, dude, hogfish, so fantastic. Good. So anyway, good. Uh, you know what else is delicious? Snakeheads, as I've said a billion in one time. <laughs> um, but uh, the person in this story uh, is not going to uh, ever learn that. Okay, so I was not going to do the Massachusetts snakehead story, even though a bunch of you guys forwarded along. And here's why. Right. The first story I read was in the Miami Herald, and it literally could have been cut and pasted from every single story of a snakehead showing up in a new place. Right. The the summary of that is basically so and so caught one here. Now, here's paragraph after paragraph of the same outdated and overhyped facts that have been written for 20 years, and They're it's rounded facts. out nicely. Yeah, it rounded out nicely with a, a, a you know vague quotes from studies and surveys that also happened 20 years ago. So I didn't really think there was that much for me to say, but the story on uh, Boston.com took a much deeper dive into the angler and his personal experience with this fish, and I started reading that and chuckling, and I was like, okay, here we go. I can run with this. So that angler is Michael Powell, and the snakehead was caught on August 27th in Reservoir Pond in Canton, Massachusetts, which is a Boston suburb and also noteworthy um, because a snakehead, like rarely, if ever, for all I, I know, just kind of shows up like in, in, in the pond next to the cornfield in Iowa. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's always, always around an urban center. Um, authorities believe this one was a pet that was released after getting too big for its tank, which is one of the most common ways that these fish end up everywhere that they are. Now, Powell was fishing for bass that day and throwing a hollow body mouse. So that all checks out. Definitely mm-hmm. something a, uh, a snake would chew. Um, so here's what he had to say about the hookup. I fished my whole life, so I kind of knew what to do, and I knew it wasn't a fish that was part of this area. As soon as I got it on the boat, I said, holy shit, this is a snakehead fish. Now, moving on to the specs. The snakehead, this is from the story, the snakehead was five pounds and 30 inches long. Negative, it was neither of those things. And that is a classic case of a reporter, I feel like, asking an angler how big it was after the fact. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, you know, like five pounds, probably 30 inches, right? So this one might weigh three pounds at best. It might measure 22 inches, <laughs> maybe. And remember, I've caught, I've caught a lot of them. So I have a pretty yeah. decent eye for them. I, I caught two fish over 30 inches this summer. And like that length is dream status if you're mm-hmm. into snakeheads. Those fish were nine and a half and 11 pounds. So the measurements are, are, are just inaccurate. Okay, it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty small snakehead, Mike. Um, now, in in the story, Powell says he's been quote to the to the bottom of YouTube and back when it comes to fishing videos. So he was familiar with the type of fish and knew to call the authorities immediately. But then the story says Powell believed he'd caught a brown snakehead fish, which has not yet been identified in the U.S. Do you know why? Because there's no such thing. No such thing as a brown snakehead fish. I Googled it, though, just to make sure I didn't miss something. You know what I mean? Just make sure I didn't look stupid. But when you Google brown snakehead fish, you only get one return, and that would be this story, story. about Michael Powell. It's, it's, right. just, it's just a great northern snakehead. It's in a darker phase. It's, it's fine. 
Um, fun facts, this is not the first snakehead caught in Massachusetts. This makes number five since 2002. But it seems like in all cases, they were dealing with a, a loner adult fish, and there's been no evidence of reproduction in the wild up there, right? So Powell reported this to the proper authorities, and they asked him to keep the fish alive for them, but they couldn't get there to collect it until the next day. So Powell says, I don't really have an aquarium I can stick it in. So what I did is I dragged one of my buddy's boats on land and filled it with water, and we put him in there. I put some plywood over it, and then cinder blocks over the plywood, and made sure it didn't get out because they're known for getting out of aquariums and crawling around. So this all this all ties back to just like the overhyped inaccurate it's, it's information just, it, yeah right um and then the final quote which sounds like it was given to a tv reporter powell says did you see the teeth on that thing try catching it i didn't know what the hell to do with it and i fished my whole life we had it out of the water for two hours while i was trying to figure out what to put it in and as soon as we put it in the water it let out a giant gulp of air and started breathing through its gills again i said that's it I don't want to see it anymore. It's doing stuff that fish aren't supposed to do. Like, come on, man. Really? Yeah. Like, is it going to haunt your dreams? You know what I mean? Like, if it were me, I'd be out there all the time wondering, well, if there's one, there might be more. You know what I mean? Like, clearly, like, I don't know, dude's not not embracing this. So um, Mass DNR will study it, uh, which, like I said, means no fish tacos for pal which is probably smart, so he doesn't worry it'll, like, multiply in his stomach, and he'll have yeah. snakeheads bursting from every orifice. <laughs> what is it about these fish, dude? What is it? I Honestly, I don't know, because there, there are so many invasive species around, and I, we talk about invasive species a lot, and we know they're a problem. I'm not saying that these fish aren't a problem, but there's something about these fish that captures the imagination of the media and people like nothing else, except maybe sharks. I am convinced... Um, and I don't want to give too much away, but like, wait, wait till the new B side season drops later this year. Like, you want to see some snakehead shit? Like, I'm going to show you guys some snakehead shit. But I am, I am thoroughly convinced that it is purely media fear driven. Oh, it like, is. It, but it, why did it, the media pick this one? Because it's called a snakehead. Because it's called a snakehead. Because it's mean looking. Because it has teeth and. It's like we're beating a dead horse, right? The whole walking on land thing is not inaccurate, but it is a survival mechanism. But it was sold to people so hard in those early years that these would just destroy everything. So it actually is inaccurate, though, because I did a deep dive in this in preparing for the new season of Das Boat. Right. Northern snakehead can't crawl across land or live out of water for three days. There is another subspecies of snakehead that can do it, but not the northern snakehead, not the ones that are here. Mm, three days no way but dude i've I've walked up on snakeheads crawling across wet grass right so my point it's not that they can't the northern snakeheads can come out of water i agree with that they need to be hydrated like it needs to be mud or wet grass they can't crawl down route one past the applebee's like that's not going to happen um but i just think that there was so much like driven into people's heads, like the media latched onto this so hard early on that it is just stuck with too many people. And there are so many worse things in our waterways all over this country than these. Yeah. I mean, they, the truth is there were two separate horror films. Yeah. Released with snakeheads Mm -hmm. as the primary fear based bad guy. Yeah. Horror films. Look it up. There are two snakehead horror films out there. That's how obsessed we are with these fish. 
It but doesn't it, make any sense. But I mean, dude, this dude doesn't seem stoked at all. Like, be stoked, no. dude. Yeah. Like, you've caught a million bass. And you've got to act all afraid a, of it. On a mouse. That's great. That's rad. Yeah. It is rad. So yeah. there you go. Massachusetts snakeheads. Apparently they're just they're not gonna they're not gonna latch on up there in, in Boston. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Snakeheads, they may be able to crawl for short distances uh, on damp land, but you know what they can't do, Joe? What's that? They can't fly. No, they can't. No. But my second story is about fish that can fly, sort of. Okay. So for, for this story, I'm going back to Lake Vermilion in Minnesota. Ooh. Because in recent weeks, an odd phenomenon has been troubling the locals. They've been finding fish in places where fish don't belong. Strange as it sounds, fish do on occasion fall from the sky. In fact, according to the book, It's Raining Fish and Spiders, creatures fall from the sky about 40 times a year. This occurs when tornadoes or water spouts form over large bodies of water and suck fish and water up from the surface into the storm. The storm then moves over land and drops the fish, giving the impression of fish rain. But there have been no tornadoes or water spouts anywhere near Lake Vermilion recently. Hmm. According 
to local newspaper The Timberjay. Numerous residents have reported finding fish on decks, lawns, driveways, streets, and in the woods, sometimes nowhere near the shore of the lake itself. The vast majority of these fish are tulipies, also known as ciscos, though one resident reported finding an 18-inch walleye in his yard. To make things even, well, at least slightly stranger, many of the fish are headless and mutilated. Ooh. The obvious question is, why in the name of God are fish falling from the sky? I mean, I know I was just saying that all those record fish catches make me feel like we're not living through the initial wave of the apocalypse, but mangled fish raining down upon small Midwestern towns might force me to rethink that assessment. Thankfully. Is this an X-Files or a real story? <laughs> I've, I've heard this before. I think it was squids, though, or like jelly-like blobs. Look it up. Maybe not headlines. The, the timber jay. <laughs> they, they did some damn good reporting. <laughs> From the Timberjay, we know, according to local gossip and science, this is an explainable event. It's not a harbinger of the end times. First, we'll hit the gossip. Residents told the paper that they believe the piscine precipitation is actually the result of raptors. When water temperatures rise on Lake Vermilion, tulipies die off in large numbers, and the eagles and osprey take advantage of the free meals. Locals think that the birds have so much food, they're just scattering it around willy-nilly all over the place. Biologists agree that eagles and osprey are the mechanism for fish transport, but the rest of that theory doesn't hold up. Matt Hennen, the DNR's local large lake specialist, recently tested oxygen levels in Lake Vermilion and found them fully oxygenated down to 37 feet. He also said that the DNR has seen no evidence of a fish kill in recent weeks. Those fish are, however, moving into the shallows this time of year to feed on abundant zooplankton and prepare to spawn. He also said that eagle populations around the lake are at an all-time high. So, his hypothesis is that the eagles, in preparation for their own upcoming seasonal change, are competing with each other for available food. They're scooping up the tulipies as they move into shallow water, but en route to a nest or tree to eat the fish, they're running into other eagles who want to steal their meal, and then getting mm. into these aerial dogfights, and then fish fall from the sky, sometimes decapitated ones. Has anybody like seen one fall from the sky? Like, have they physically watched it fall? Are you getting there? I I don't know the answer to that question. Like, I, actually, I like, like what people are seeing is fish jay. on the ground. Well, I They're, know. Yes, you're really shitting on the timber jay. Somebody I'm works not, there and is I just proud said to they be did there. I got this story from them. They did great work. They talked to the locals. They talked to the biologists. I. <laughs> There's some good quotes in that story, everyone. Subscribe to the Timber Jay if you live around Lake Vermilion. <laughs> I don't think anybody has seen one fall from the sky, but they're in places that they had to have fallen. And there were some photos, and it's clear, like, this thing fell down. It wasn't okay. dragged. All right. All right. And as interesting as I find the story, and I do, you know what this makes me think of? You know what I'm stuck with? What? I'm thinking about the poor person who will go to clean out their gutters in a couple months. Oh, yeah. And find a fully rotten tulipy jammed in a downspout. Just the nastiest yep. thing you could ever imagine. That's Trust what I'm me, stuck thinking about. This is such a dad, like, not cool thing to say. <laughs> gutter guards, best investment of my life, man. <laughs> Can't say enough good things about my f gutter guards. <laughs> we could talk about them for hours. <laughs> uh, who needs weed guards? I got gutter guards. Right on, yeah. That's it. That's all I got oh, about, that was it. about That's, fish oh. falling from the sky. I was ending, ending <laughs> on the rotten tulip jammed into a downspout. That's the image I want to leave all of you with. You're welcome. 
Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. That. That. <laughs> that. That would not be good to take that out of there. I don't really know what kind of good follow up I have to that. I mean, it feels. It seems like mystery solved. But what came I'm, into my head is like. So here's I've the thing, seen, dude. I'm not gonna lie. I ended on that because I was like, how could he ever transition from I, a rotten tool to be jammed in a gutter to anything fish newsworthy? Oh, but I. But I am. But I'm about to. But I Are will you? just say oh. a little bit. It's a loose connection, but it's a little bit. It's actually has nothing to do with the gutter. It's going to be more about eagles, but now I'm getting ahead of myself. But as soon as you started telling the story, I'm like, this is the kind of stuff you see on those like um, paranormal of history on Science mm-hmm. Channel, you know? Yeah. It was a cold day in wherever Kentucky when jellyfish started falling. Yeah, 1847, exactly. So um, here's what I'll say. If the eagles run out of tulabies, uh, they might want to head on over to the Illinois River where things have gotten much safer to eat lately. How about that? Hmm. So, so I, 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 I avoided you your gutters. 6. All right. <laughs> Fair. Fair. 4.5. You know, sure. just to keep on theme with sure. that with Bent. Anyway, PCBs. <laughs> I think most of you know what they are. And in case you do not, they are polychlorinated biphenols. PCBs were widely used as an insulator in electrical equipment and in other industrial equipment. Now, PCBs are one of the leading contributors to do not eat or consumption warnings being placed on certain waterways. And as a Jersey guy, I am highly familiar with these warnings. <laughs> I've been eating PCB yep. since I was knee high to a grasshopper. Um, matter of fact, there, there's been one on the Hudson River in Raritan Bay where we filmed episode one of Das Boat season three for a very long time. Um, the thing is, though, I think like people get nutso about these warnings sometimes, like just nuts. And in most cases... Warnings tell you to eat fish from a contaminated area in moderation. They don't often say never. Now, if you have a catfish from the Striper or Hudson once or twice a season, you're fine. Pregnant women, young girls, nursing mothers, they need to be extra cautious. But generally speaking, unless you're eating fish or shellfish from that water daily or weekly, this is not that big a deal. But people love to cling to it. So, um, spoiler alert, episode four of Das Boat season three was filmed on the Potomac in D.C., with uh, Chef Kevin Gillespie, and they caught blue cats. And oh my God, people went nuts when they posted photos. Like, you can't eat a fish from there ever. It's a death sentence and blah, blah. It's not. Okay. And these are the inaccurate. I feel like these are the same people that, like, you know, you'll sit behind a bus at a traffic light breathing in the exhaust and, like, you don't worry about that, but you're going to worry about one catfish. Um, and people, I think, also people forget, are like sucking down the tenth cigarette of the day, being like, "Oh yeah, man, that shit'll kill eat you." Don't that catfish. <laughs> Where's my stogie? Um, but people, I, I think, also forget um, that a lot of the fish you purchase in the fish market probably has some level of contaminants in it too, right? Like, so it's just anyway. PCBs were banned by the Environmental Protection Agency in 1979, but they were used so heavily for so long. Um, that they've been contaminating waterways ever since. They don't just go away easily. So here we are, 42 years after the ban, and there may be some hope that in certain places, those PCBs might finally be diluting or sort of burning out and going away. The Illinois Department of Public Health recently took the last remaining fish off the do-not-eat list for the Illinois River, and that would be the channel catfish. Of course. So PCBs, Collecting the mud and the silt and the sludge and the soft bottom, therefore, species like catfish that do most of their eating on the bottom always have higher levels of, of PCBs than fish that tend to feed further up in the water column, move around more. So to take them off the list of a river with an incredibly long industrial background is, to me, pretty significant. So 
From the story on AdvantageNews.com, uh, the DPH regularly monitors Illinois River for contaminants. Fish from each stretch of the 270-mile-long Illinois River are sampled every five years. Year by year, as contamination levels have improved, specific types of fish have been removed from the do-not-eat list. Only channel catfish from two stretches of the Illinois River in northern industrial areas remained on the list this year. And then in August, using the most current data, the uh, DPH was finally able to clear the channel catfish from the list. So there have been some strategic cleanup efforts on the Illinois over the years, but as I understand it, we're also just seeing, again, that natural burnout. After 40 years, these PCBs are just starting to break down. So this could be a, a good sign for similar rivers and bodies of water with similar problems, and I found that a little bit uplifting. Yeah, I mean, are they burning out? Is it that they have a half-life or are they just sort of a half-life like, like atomic particles? I think it's a combination of both just flushing over time right. and turnover in these rivers. And I mean, they will, they, they do have a half-life. They will just sort of break down eventually. It just takes a really long time. So, I mean, we're talking about breakdown that, that, I mean, the process started in 1979. So it's taken a really long time, but it's well, like a little glimmer of kinda. like- if you're thinking about different pollutants and the things we worry about, particularly like nuclear waste, 40 years is nothing. Right. I mean, exactly. like you'd have like millions of years of half-life on some of this stuff. So this is like yeah. kind of good news. It goes away. I mean, it's, it's a long time in a single person's life span exactly it's not that long yeah. in terms of like the longevity right. of pollutants really right like they're not going to break ground on the on the hard rock chernobyl <laughs> till at least 2135 or something like yeah. that you know what i mean yeah so so no that's great man <laughs> i appreciate I so. the, the upliving it's it's uplifting in a number of different ways one always like to hear about rivers getting cleaned up but also catfish anglers on the illinois river yeah rejoice every day Every day. <laughs> Kill them all. There's not enough house autry seafood breader in the world. There you go. So we've ended we've ended news on an uplifting note. We're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna get Phil's last judgment of me and Miles here together, and then we're just gonna bring somebody straight down and do one final awkward moments in angling. Wow. Miles, I can't believe it's your last show. Um, I normally play kind of a stupid character when I do these fish news segments, but I just want to get a little sincere here and say that editing bent is honestly the highlight of my week. And I'm really going to miss you being a part of that. Um, just good luck with your, uh, your next journey. That being said, Joe Cermelli, you are the winner of fish news this week. No, no, it's not. It's miles. I'm not that big of an asshole. <laughs> miles. I just want to say one more thing. You take my breath away and remember the next time you're on the highway to the danger zone know that i've always got that love and feeling So I think it's fair to say that Awkward Moments has been one of our personal favorite segments. Like we've yep. we've yep. really had a great time with it. And I promise that no matter what Bent looks like going forward, Awkward Moments will not go away. 
right? It is, it's just, it's just too much fun. And I need you guys to keep sending and tagging your embarrassing shots because if you don't, I'll have no one but myself to make fun of all the time. And while I'd never run out of things to make fun of about myself, it's just a nice break to trash someone else from time yeah. to time. So awkward rides on, you know? Uh, and as it has to, because from the very beginning, yeah. We knew that we wanted to make fun of the genre of the hero shot. It's just, it's so totally. ripe for ridicule. And yet we <laughs> all do it. We just can't yes. help ourselves. And, and this week, Joe found us a gem, which is, I, may, I think, maybe the perfect closer for us to do together. Because while it's definitely f***ing awkward, it also kind of <laughs> captures everything Bent is about in one frame. Exactly. It could be, be a Bent poster. We've said Easily. so many times that we strive to be the place where all anglers are welcome, where we're not siloed into being all fly or all salt or all bass, like so many other podcasts. I know damn well you are going to maintain that going forward. But if you need some short-term help, you might want to call Jeremy Creed, the subject of this photo. I, I might want to call him, or at least if I ever need a bodyguard while fishing, I'll know who to call. Um, the, the, look, the, the, the fact is we could spend an entire episode dissecting this shot, but per Lance V, your ship to Chili's starts in an hour or so. So we just don't have that kind of time. Okay. So this is a, this is a vertical photo of a shirtless Jeremy who's wearing a backpack and he's standing in a stream and he's holding up a decent smallmouth bass. I don't he know, is. two pounds, yeah, maybe good, three, I don't know, smallie. decent, decent fish, good smallie, right? So working from the top down as, as sometimes we do, we'll start with Jeremy's glasses. They are wraparound frameless glasses, possibly Oakley or knockoff flea market Oakley. Mm. And they're exactly what I've described in past awkward moments as Ken Griffey Jr. sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Now, in his in his mouth is a fly rod. I, okay. well, I, my money is on flea market knockoffs looking at those. <laughs> those are not Oakleys. <laughs> but I, I understand why Jeremy's doing the rod biting pose here, but I still don't like it. Mm-hmm. Okay. His hands mm-hmm. are occupied. One is busy lipping that smallie vertically and the other is holding a very nice wooden landing net with a ghost bag i applaud this mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. he does jeremy is worried he doesn't want the fish to wiggle out of his hand and hurt itself that's great but while i do applaud the fish handling i have just never cared for the rod in mouth pose can i interrupt for one second and ask does, does that shot of you exist anywhere because i can't give him as hard of a time because there are shots of me doing that but there's have you ever I, done that ever i have done that i'm not i'm not saying i've never done it but i have okay. it's been at least 10 years since fair, i've done it. fair go on. so got it. i feel like i can say i have learned from my past mistakes and i'm not i try to avoid it but they yeah. exist of me is what yeah, i'm saying i'm sure someone will find one of me and, and make fun of it. And <laughs> what I have to say to Jeremy in this photo, and, and also to myself from my 20s, we get it. The smallie, the fish was fly caught. Yep. Good for yep. you. But newsflash, you also kind of look like a tool with that graphite in your teeth. <laughs> Again, this is just my opinion. The rod bite maneuver is, is actually pretty standard in fly angler grip and grins. So that's about as far as I can go there. But beyond that... Shit kind of gets weird in this photo. Yeah. So far, there's nothing out of the ordinary here, right? But then, protruding straight up from the center of Jeremy's lower abdomen, like a bad case of morning wood, is a spinning (laughs) rod. Okay? He's got the handle jammed into the waistband of his quick dry fishing pants in just the way that, like, it's got to be tapping his naughty bits. Mm -hmm. Okay? But that's not all, right? 
jammed into that waistband in the same central location, same place as the rod, is his cell phone and a nine millimeter pistol. Yeah, that's that's a lot of weight. I'm not, I am not sure how those nylon quick dry pants are staying up, frankly, but that's also not the main concern here because there's a lot going on. You put this whole package together and it's, it's like pseudo tactical. Mm -hmm. Jeremy's trying to be prepared for every possibility. Mayflies start hatching. Bam. He's got the fly rod. Boom. Fish holding deep. Whip out the spinner. Get him down. (laughs) Should he encounter a selfie crisis, which he seems of the age that that might be a problem, he's covered. And if a bear or wolf or Yeti or homicidal maniac just happens to jump out of the bushes, <laughs> the pistol is at the ready. But I said pseudo-tactical, because if Jeremy was actually deep in the tactical world, he'd have like special holsters for all these things that would keep right. them on his waistband on the outside or elsewhere, not jammed into his pants, right? He wouldn't have a rod butt, camera phone, and pistol all pointed straight at his junk and only held up by the power of waistband and beer gut. Now, while it's easy to crack jokes about this shot, this is this is what ties it all together. The truth is, this was and kind of still is me. And this shot is bent. Right? Like, I was the kid in love with fly fishing, but not in love with the idea that I, that I might miss opportunities because I only brought a fly rod. Yep. So most of the time, when I'd wade a smallmouth river or a trout stream, there was either a fly rod broken down in my backpack or a spinning rod mm-hmm. sticking out of my backpack mm-hmm. or wader belt. And if there's one resounding message here on Ben, it's that, God damn it, that's okay. Yes. You can do that. Yes. You know? I, yes. And, and... – you're right. That is that is the message, and I may I may I may have been a little too hard on young Jeremy. I really do applaud his preparedness and versatility. It's the firearm safety thing that's getting yeah, me. Yeah, we like, need to talk I, about that for a sec. I, I, right? I just <laughs> I hope he's getting a little more careful with how he carries a firearm. It's I'm I'm glad yeah. he's got it. I want him to be prepared and safe. That's all great. But <laughs> poor poor firearms handling is not bent. No, just the fishing stuff. The fishing stuff. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent there and, and awkwardly <laughs> sticking your cell phone somewhere. No doubt. That's me. And God knows I spent years awkwardly lugging every kind of fishing implement I owned strapped in whatever way I could to whatever secondhand backpack I could afford. I did that yeah. for years. Yeah. You, you threw it all in, you threw it all in your Jan sport and off you totally, went. Yeah. And dude, tell me, tell me like nine times out of 10, you would regret it too. Like oh. you'd, you'd want to go into it that way, but you'd be like trying to crawl through shit and the spinning rods caught in the trees or like it falls out of your waiter belt in a deep hole. Like it was always, it was always a disaster, but yes. I always did that. I just wanted to leave no fish on the table because of my inability to decide on one method of chasing them. Yeah. Anyway. Do you remember, like, what makes you think of is an image, do you remember the one-man band? Yeah. I always yeah. kind of felt like the one-man band guy who sort yeah. of had every instrument strapped it, it, to me it, somewhere because so I couldn't inefficient. decide what I was playing. It's yes. so inefficient. Yes. It's so inefficient, but it's so great. And Jeremy, we really appreciate this shot again, man. Such a fitting closer for Miles and I to tag team. So, Please keep sending your awkward photos to bent at the or you can DM them uh, to me directly on the Instagrams. That's where this one came from. I will close with a warning, however. Um, 
who the hell knows who will be joining me for future roastings, okay? And if you've been with us from the beginning, you know our cast of regulars, and some of them probably won't be as nice and eloquent about your fuckery as Miles. So again, we do not condone, do not condone, wet waiting with a loaded 9mm pointed at your junk. But we did enjoy that photo very much. <laughs> I feel like we've always aimed to keep you on the straight path downrange with your fishing, um, which is why we close so many shows with our end of the line segment. And I'm, I'm going to have to come up with a lot more lures and flies and baits, I suppose, now that you're leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's only fitting that you hit one more end of the line before you dip. I appreciate that. I think I should. And I want I want to close with one of the best bent end of the line topics I can come up with. One that's equally literate, degenerate, functional, and fishing all inclusive. It's gonna be a little unconventional, but I hope you enjoy it. Fishy, 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 fishy. Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. Technically speaking, this is an end of the line segment. But because I want to hurl one last appeal to put down your phones and pick up a book at all of you, it's also a freaking Philistine segment. This is my last show. I do what I want. The fly I'm featuring this week is, in many ways, an anti-fly. It's not delicate or fussy. It's not even actually tied. The bugger duck, as it's called, requires three materials and no thread at all it's cheaper than a gas station jig head with a twister tail and just as easy to rig no matter how much whiskey is curdling in your consciousness you probably have all the necessary components to make this fly in your truck which is actually how the fly came to be here's a snippet of its origin story taken from an essay written by its inventor I was fishing woolly boogers on the Gallatin when I came up with a full-blown bugger duck. The fish were hidden like crazy. Two had broken my tippet, and in my frenzy, I had snapped off four flies in the trees behind me. So I went back to my pickup to find more, but there were none. I did have some lead wrap in my vest and a dozen number six long shank hooks and a roll of duct tape in my glove box. With a vague idea of the invention that necessity was mothering forth, I went under the bridge to take a leak and stumbled upon the moldering carcass of a coyote gnawed duck. I picked some of the sodden down from it, returned to the tailgate of my pickup, sat down, and proceeded to tape up a true bugger duck. I tore off a little strip of duct tape, wrapped the shank of the hook in it, wrapped the duct-taped shank in lead, wrapped that in more duct tape, taped on some of the soggy down for a tail, and taped on more down for the body, creating a head that looked like a silver bullet in the process. Gazing at the morbid, proletarian monstrosity I had created without thread, bobbin, or vice, I thought, not bad, and quickly taped up four more. Then I lumbered back down to the river. The bugger duck and that passage were both the brainchild of writer, poet, teacher, and musician Greg Keeler. And the fly is a perfect distillation of Greg's approach to fishing, writing, and life. Bugger ducks catch fish. They are an honest-to-God effective pattern, but that's not why I picked this fly. I love this fly for what it represents and who it reminds me of. See, you may not know the name Greg Keeler, but if you're even vaguely familiar 
with the countercultural outdoor writing scene in southwest Montana during the 70s and 80s, you know the crew that Greg ran with. We're talking about Russell Chatham, Doug Peacock, Tom McGuane, Jim Harrison, Gary Schneider, the people who defined the genre of outdoor writing as we know it today. Richard Brodigan was one of Greg's close friends. Greg wrote a book, Waltzing with the Captain, that recounts some of their adventures. But Greg never found national notoriety in the same way as his contemporaries. He wrote plenty of books, some very good ones, but maintained a family in addition to his day job as a tenure-track professor at Montana State University. I read Greg's memoir, Trashfish, when it was published in the early 2000s, and found in it exactly the tone that I felt so much fishing literature lacked. Trashfish is the opposite of most outdoor writing, unpretentious, self-deprecating, and honest. Greg is no hero, trumpeting his genius and celebrating his triumph over fish and fellow anglers. He's a confused baby boomer with an inexplicable angling obsession, stumbling through the messiness of trying to live a satisfying life. Along the way, he f***s up often, hurts the people he loves most, indulges in years of self-destruction, and goes fishing a lot. The book reminds us that just about everything we do when viewed from an appropriate angle of distance, is absurd. And yet, despite the clownish futility of modern life, our actions have consequences. Individual suffering matters, even if not at the macro scale of a population now pushing 8 billion. I reached out to Greg before my own memoir came out in 2009 to ask for advice on generating an audience and being a successful writer based in Bozeman. Though at the time we'd never met, he was kind enough to write back to me with the following wisdom. He wrote, My publisher tried to get me to go out and create a groundswell for trash fish, so I ran home and hid in my house. If there's an audience for it in this area, it's because I've lived, taught, performed my songs, and exhibited my art here for 35 years. I've been trying to write lately, but between students, meetings, magazine writing, and feeble attempts to travel for trash fish, two transients showed up at my signing in Butte, I've barely had time to fart. I knew that Greg and I would become friends. When I enrolled in the graduate program at Montana State University, Greg's office became my sanctuary. He kept me afloat while I was churning in the crowded wave pool of fragile egos and weaponized wordplay we call academia. Greg served on my thesis committee until, two days before my final defense, his wife committed suicide in her car, parked in a bank parking lot beside a steel statuary of majestic elk. I stopped by his house wearing a black shirt, black tie, and black cowboy boots, and carrying a venison sausage pie, as if its caloric density might fill some of his void. I left hastily, stepping into the early May perfume of lilacs, and tried not to think about futility as I drove my truck to the fluorescent glow of the English department conference room. Later that summer, Greg and I went carp fishing, and I was reminded of why I loved his memoir in the first place. The cover features a portrait of a sucker with a drop of water creeping down from its stupid and terrified eye, making the fish look as though it's crying. Here's a sample taken from an early chapter. I sometimes found it difficult to understand why Father chose to go fishing by himself half the time. After all, he liked to fish, I liked to fish, and I was his son. But now, looking back, it's not quite such a mystery. Fishing with me must have been something like birdwatching with a cat. As soon as we'd pull up to a stream or lake, I'd be out of the car, dashing toward the lake, falling over boulders, spilling the tackle box, and falling in the water. Father would stand by the car trunk, muttering under his breath, knowing that nothing short of violence could stop me. Then, 
Eventually, he'd come after me, picking up hooks and sinkers in my wake and finally rigging up his own rod. Not that he was any great shakes himself. His equipment was always frayed and clogged from use and abuse. His casting reel sometimes looked like a porcupine with all the loose ends poking out from where he'd knotted the line together after cutting out backlashes. His rod was short and stubby from breaking and re-gluing the tip so many times, and his lures, they were huge old concoctions of metal, feathers, and wood resembling small rats or squashed pigeons. But probably, if I learned anything specific about my father from the process of angling, it was how to swear. After all, when one lets one's tackle become a huge tangled wad, one has a bit of trouble turning it into anything but found art. One of my earliest vivid memories is of father standing out on a point of rocks on Lake Scanatellus in upstate New York, silhouetted against a fuchsia sunset, jumping up and down and screaming, I can't remember if it was over faulty equipment, a lost fish, or life in general. All I remember is the part. When a reel got a backlash in it, in father's hands it ceased being a plain old reel and became a jacked off spool of horse reel. Once in Oklahoma, when he was pulling a stringer of small bass from a farm pond and a water moccasin had managed to work one of the bass into its gullet, it ceased being a water moccasin and became the bastard son of an elongated turd. And once, when he was cleaning a channel cat and his hand slipped so that the dorsal spine went into his wrist, it ceased being a channel cat and became a scum-sucking, mucus-drenched nail in the hand of Jesus Christ Almighty. There was also violence. If he broke the tip of a rod, sometimes, instead of replacing the tip, he would take what was left and break it again in several places. It isn't easy to break a fishing rod in several places. Sometimes, one must find a couple of cinder blocks so that one may lay it between them and stomp it. Or sometimes, one must just rear back and send it whoop-whooping out into the middle of the river. For the most part, Father was a gentle man, but fishing was, for him, a sort of ventilation shaft through which raged the sound and fury of his simian predecessors. My final recommendation to all of you is twofold. First, go read Trash Fish, and then anything else that grabs your fancy from Keeler. Then whip up a half dozen or more bugger ducks and go fishing. You won't need a recipe, but here's a suggestion. After the half-rotten duck feather prototype, Greg refined the pattern a bit and substituted actual marabou, which works well. But any supple feathers will do. And really, you don't even need feathers. You can hack off a chunk of fur from your dog or steal that lock of hair from your first child someone's been saving in a shoebox. Just find some kind of material that moves and lash it to the back of a weighted, long-shanked hook with duct tape. Cut the tape. Or, let's be honest here, tear it off with your teeth, lay the ragged edge down, and boom. You're done. You just tied a fly. Or made a fly. Whatever. So that is it. In case you fast forwarded to this very part, Miles is leaving Bent. I'm a bit of a nervous wreck, but that uneasy feeling in my stomach might just be from the Taco Bell seafood salad I just ate. (laughs) You you really got to stop drowning your sorrows in experimental fast food, Joe. Agreed. Just just drink too much whiskey like a normal degenerate. You'll probably live longer. You're right. And I've been drinking a lot of whiskey lately. Oh, me too. Bullshit aside, man. Uh, Creating this show with you every week for the past year has been one of the highlights of my career. When when we first came up with this concept, I I really think you and I were the only ones who thought it had a prayer of working and like yeah, getting I think past so too. two weeks. I think so too. And here we are. 
not everything we have tried has been 100% successful, but the, the idea, the concept, the, the heart of the show has endured, and, and damn it, we've been willing to fail in order to make something unique. Uh, I, respect, I respect a lot of things, man. I respect your work ethic, your wit. You take the job of making fishing media seriously without taking yourself too seriously. You understand the craft without being precious about it. No bullshit. This really is one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my professional life. I have no idea what the f- I'm going to do Monday mornings when I can't call you up to just talk. Like I can't just call you to talk about whatever bullshit is on my mind under the guise of planning the following week's show, which is really my routine. Uh, and to all of you, and yeah, I'm, I'm talking about you degenerates out there who have tuned in for the past year. I, I want to give my sincere appreciation and thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me into your truck cabs and sedans, your earbuds, your headphones, you only get so many hours, and I am grateful for the hours you chose to spend listening to me. Thanks also to all of you who have reached out to talk about books or fishing or life or moral quandaries. We get a lot of moral quandaries. We do get a lot of Yeah. <laughs> Keep those coming. <laughs> yeah. Reading your emails has been one of the best parts of this job, and if you're not too pissed off at me for leaving Bent, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out in the future. To all our Kiwi listeners... Uh, I'm going to need some new fishing and drinking buddies. So if you're willing to put up with a gangly yank, please holler. I won't be monitoring the bent account anymore, but Joe will pass along messages. I hope. Yes, I will. And I got to say, dude, that was, that was the nicest shit that anybody has ever said about me. And I think you know this, but part of the reason I signed on with Meat Eater was to work with you and make a podcast with you. So this hurts. And the best I can do, though, is like, Keep it going for both of us. Like keep the I bent thing m- moving forward. Um, and it's always weird when you do like a like a final thing like this. It's like you're not dying. I could we, we'll still dead. talk. We're still talk on Monday. <laughs> like like it's like so sad for the listener. Like Miles and I are still going to hang out on occasion. He's just not, not going to be on the up. show. Yes. Anyway, in regards to those emails, in addition to being Miles' personal ad service, the Ben email will continue performing its normal functions. So do please keep sending your salesman items, bar nominations, awkward photos, and uh, offers of free lures and flies intended for Miles to <laughs> Bent at TheMediator.com. I will be intercepting those. Uh, keep using those Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast hashtags on the gram. And speaking of the gram, do me a solid and fire off some well wishes to my man because he's been mm. an integral part of this show. We could not have gotten this far without the solid teamwork we've had over the last year, and I'm going to miss you, dude. Likewise, brother. And for those of you who have been here since day one, this is for you. Tight lines. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. 
It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. 